We are in our, our summer series that we just began a couple of weeks ago called Summer of Love. Yeah, baby. Going through this beautiful, powerful letter known as 1 John. We're going through it verse by verse, just taking the whole summer, just taking our time, going, getting into this thing, diving in to see what it has to say to us. It's really cool as we're getting to use lots of different teachers to uh, take uh, a portion of these, the, these passages. So today, we just want to dive right in. The passage we're looking at today, as you just heard it read, where it's in chapter 2, 1 John. It, we're starting in verse 7. It says, Dear friends, dear friends, now that phrase right there in the Greek is one word, and it's the word agapetoi. And some of you Greek scholars can already detect that word agape in that word. Dear friends is agapetoi. A, a really a better translation is beloved or, or most loved ones. Friends is a, it's kind of a weak translation for, for agapetoi. I mean, this is the, the most beloved, the most loved ones. And that's, that's a, what he's going to end up, he's hinting at what he's going to end up talking about here in just a second. He says this, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. So I'm not writing you a new command, I'm writing you an old one. It's an old one. It's not new, it's old, but it's new. It's not old, it's new. It's, it's new, but it's not new, it's old. It's, it's no old. <laughs> Uh, do you remember, like, I don't know, about 10 years ago, these shoes came out, these really awesome new shoes. And I had some friends, like, tell me, you got to buy these shoes. And they had the little toes in them, the shoes with the toes. And, like, everybody was jogging with the shoes with the toes. And they were like, you got to use these shoes. They're amazing. It's this new technology. And your toes, like, fit right into the little slot, toe slots right there. And, and it's, like, you know, isometric and, like, I don't know, isolates the muscles and it makes everything so comfortable. And what it does is it mimics running barefoot, which is, like, you know, as if human beings hadn't been running barefoot for like a, a million years, but it mimics running barefoot, and you got to use these, this new technology. In fact, Nike, I remember I was reading how they came out with their own brand. They, they went out and they noticed these uh, guys training for the Olympics who were running around the track barefoot. And Nike was like, we're not going to make any money on that. So we, they came up with a shoe called the Free, the Nike Freeze. And, um, and they said, it's just, it's, it's almost just as good as running barefoot. So buy this shoe because it's almost like running barefoot. It's old, right? It's, it's, it's like it mimics this old thing, but it's this new thing too. It's, and it's so, so, so it's new, but it's really old. Now, what is this uh, extraordinarily old, mysterious command John is speaking of here? Because there's a lot of commands in the Bible, right? There's a whole bunch of commands in the Bible. And what we discover, of course, is the command that he's talking about here is the command. And it's hinted at in that word, agape toy. It's the command to love one another, to love. It's, it, this is not a new concept. Uh, we've heard this before. But John wants to remind us that this commandment is both old and new. It's timeless, but it's revolutionary. And our creator, we, think about it, we are created by the God who is love, right? So from the very moment humanity took its first breath, I mean, our love is just woven into the very fabric of our existence. Since we're, we are fashioned together in our mother's womb, this, this old, this is old, this is ancient. We are like made from love. We were created in love and for love. So we were breathed into existence by the God who is love. 
Love is our birthright. It's our heritage as children of God is love. So in that sense, this commandment to love is as old as creation itself. And yet, is there anybody here today who needs a fresh reminder of God's love? Anybody besides me? Amen. Is there anybody here who needs a fresh word of what it looks like to love? Is there anybody in here uh, who has somebody in your life that is difficult to love? <laughs> yeah, because we all have coworkers. We're all surrounded by human beings, right? And none of them are as perfect as we are. So it's, you know, we're surrounded by neighbors and fellow students and family members and friends. And yes, even fellow Christians in our life who just won't do what we tell them to do. If they would just live according to our, our wishes, it'd be a lot easier, but they won't. And so today, what we do, we come here today, we gather to, to hear an old word about the love of God and that love that's expressed in Christ. But what we also need is this old word to be really new, to be really fresh for us today. Are you with me? Amen. We gather, the first thing we did this morning, we gather to sing these old, old, old truths. We're not making up new stuff here that we sing. This is 2,000-year-old truth, but we want to sing them in language that connects with us today. We gather to, to center ourselves around this resurrected Christ who's been calling people for thousands of years and who he embodied love in its purest form. I mean, he was in the flesh and blood, loving the outcast, the marginalized, the sinner. And he showed us that love is not just a sentiment, you know, that we come up with, that you just feel. It is a radical, self-giving, sacrificial way of life. That's the love he showed us. And we gather today to hear this in a fresh way. We need a fresh word of inspiration and revelation and revolution. Amen. Now, last week, Debbie explored uh, those first few verses of chapter 2 and how the commandments that John mentions in the first part of this chapter, they get summed up over and over. If you read 1 John, you read the Gospel of John, which John also wrote, by Jesus. Whenever Jesus talks about this, these commandments get summed up as, if you remember, the command to love, to love God and to love your neighbor, Right? Loving God, loving your neighbor. And that's how we put our, our love for God into actions, by loving our neighbor. And then Jesus, if you remember later, he comes along and he transforms this dual command into something new by tweaking it a little bit in the Gospel of John. In chapter 13, he says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus presents love as the distinguishing characteristic of children of God, right? Love is the litmus test of, of authentic disciples. It's love. But what makes this command new? Well, it wasn't, I mean, love was already part of the Jewish tradition. Uh, in, in, love was not, a, was not foreign. It wasn't a foreign concept to, to Jesus' audience when he taught him this. Like we said, the commandment to love God and one's neighbor, that was deeply ingrained in the Jewish religion, um, tradition. Uh, but Jesus brings a whole new dimension to love. And he raises the bar. He really does. He calls his disciples in this scripture to love as he loved them. Whew. 
Oh, that's different. That's not just feeling warm feelings, is it? Loving as Jesus loved. That love is radical. It's inclusive. It's transformative. And his love, notice, Jesus' love wasn't just for God the Father. I mean, God, he's easy to love. Sure, he's God, you know. Or it wasn't just for his fellow disciples, you know, church people. Oh, yeah, we can love church people. His love extends beyond all the societal, social, uh, all kinds of boundaries, those cultural, ethnic, political, all those boundaries. It embraces the marginalized and the, and the outcast, people who are deemed unworthy by our world. Jesus' love is sacrificial. It's self-giving, and it's, it's willing to lay down his very life for others, for sinners and enemies. This is a whole new standard of love. And this new commandment challenges us to move beyond just this idea of love as, as sentimentality, right? Or, or love for those who are affiliated with us, that we have some kinship with, for family or identity. Well, now he challenges us to embrace people who are different from us and, and actively seek their well-being, so this kind of love, it, it's disruptive. It disrupts the status quo. It confronts, you know, systems of oppression and, and brings healing and restoration to a broken world. So back to John's letter, where he says this about this new command. In verse 8, he says, It's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Now, we're going to see here, John, once again, and he, he's going to kind of return to this several times throughout this book. We're going to see this throughout the summer. He, he dives headlong into this, this love, hate, light, darkness theme. Um, and the reason he does this is because light and darkness can't coexist. Light and darkness can't coexist. Light and darkness, you know, are, are not like equal and opposite powers. You just get a little bit of light and darkness is gone, Right? It can't combat the light. You can't like pour in some more darkness to combat the light. Once the light is there, darkness is done for, right? And so if we claim to walk in the light, if we claim to follow Jesus, then our lives are going to be marked by love. Love is the litmus test of our faith. It is the litmus test. It's the evidence of our connection to Christ. All right, let's keep going. In verse 10, he says, anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. There's some really interesting things here. Notice he said there's nothing in them to make them stumble. So first off, what John wants to remind us of here is that the greatest threat to your life is not what other people can do. It's not what anybody out there with their, you know, hurtful words or with a gun or anything else can do. Your greatest threat to your life is, is within you. It is, is darkness within. But those who walk in the light, there's nothing in them to make them stumble. So notice what he says here at the verse, end of verse 10. When you love your fellow believers and, and you live in the light, there is nothing to make you stumble. Now the word stumble is this word scandalon. Scandalon. And, and it's where we get the English word scandal. Um, but do you know what a scandalon is? It's really interesting. It's actually this Greek technical term, it was like, a scandalon was like a bear trap. A bear trap, that's what a scandalon was, a trap. So the writer says when you hate, see when you fail to love, it's as if you were setting traps 
for people. When you do not love, you're, you're setting traps for others to stumble. Have you ever had somebody, um, like, offer you a really juicy piece of gossip about somebody else? Right? It's like, hey, hey, you know about so-and-so, don't you? You know about so-and-so, right? You know about what happened. You know what, what are they doing at that moment? They're setting you a trap. It's a trap. They might not mean to, but that's what they're doing, right? They're saying, hey, you want to step into this? How many of you ever, you've been told maybe something negative about somebody. Somebody said, hey, you know, no, so-and-so, you know what the deal is about them, right? And maybe years and years later, like when you interact with that person, the first moment you see them, the first thing that comes to your mind is that thing you heard about them years ago, right? Why is that? It's a scandalon. It's causing other people to stumble. How many of you have, somebody gave you a first impression of somebody, and now you've known them, and over all the years, all of your interactions with them, none of it validates that first impression, right? None of that proved to be true, and yet you still can't shake that first thought when you see them. That's a scandal on. It's what it is. When we fail to love, what we're essentially doing is we're setting traps for people to step in. It's often really difficult to get out of those traps. And let's be honest, we're going to fail. We're gonna, we will stumble. We will fall short of love. Uh, and there's going to be moments when our fears, our biases, insecurities get in the way. It gets in the way. And that's why John reminds us, he's going to remind us, that when we stumble, there is grace. Praise the Lord. There's grace. We don't have to be perfect in our love. We simply need to be willing to to, to keep trying, to keep extending grace to other people, extending grace to ourselves, allow, allow his grace to flow through us. And, and that's a beautiful promise that as we continue to choose love, that's a lifestyle, that the darkness within us and around us, it begins to fade. It's going to fade. The light of love, gradually, it illuminates every corner of our lives. It transforms us. It transforms the world around us. But the choice to walk in this light of love is still ours. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. That's why John swings back. He says all that, and then he swings back to a warning in verse 11. He says, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Hmm. Something real important I want us to keep in mind here. We brought it up a couple weeks ago. When John talks about darkness and light, a lot of times in our language, in our metaphors, we think of that in terms of like good and evil, right? Like Star Wars, there's the light side and the dark side. And they're both equally useful and equally powerful. You just choose which one you want to use, right? Dark and light. But for John, light is a little different. It's not just about like living righteous lives or being moral. Light is about what happens when our eyes are open to the truth. Light is truth. It's ultimate reality, right? When we embrace Jesus, our eyes are open to light. And darkness isn't just being sinful or like choosing the wrong thing. Darkness is the consequence of being ignorant. So it says the world walks around in darkness, it's not like because they're just terrible people and you're such a great, b- better person or I'm better than they are. 
it's, they're literally in the darkness. They, they can't see, right? So this is the way that John uses uh, light and dark very often. And here's a, here's a couple of crucial points here. The darkness of, of hatred to John, when we come to Christ, the darkness of hatred is no longer our, our natural state. That's not our natural state anymore. We were created to live in the light of love. He, he, he compares light with love. So hatred is like, think of it like an aberration, right? Hatred is like a deviation from our true nature as children of God. You were not created to hate. Uh, and hate hinders our ability to, to really experience the, the abundant life that God has for us. Um, when we hate a brother or sister, what we're doing is we are denying the inherent interconnectedness of, of humanity, the way that God created us. Every person, we're denying that every person that we encounter bears the image of God. To hate them is, is to reject that divine imprint within them. And we see it today all around us. That's, that is the water we swim in, right? That is our culture that we live in right now. It is just, I mean, if you had to sum up our culture today in one word, hate. We live in a culture of hate. Hatred brings division. It breeds animosity. It perpetuates cycles of harm and dehumanizing, right? It's why John says the darkness of hate literally blinds us, and it blinds us to the inherent worth and dignity of every single human being, regardless of who they are. Hatred, hatred creates walls where, where love should be building bridges, and it fosters this us versus them Mentality. It tears at the, the fabric of our, of our shared humanity, and, and it leaks into the church itself. We've talked about this. I want to hammer home this point. This is really interesting here, because John, uh, let's see. Yeah, John has, he says something that is so brilliant. That this is like something that would, any psychologist today would, would kill to come up with this fact. And this is like 2,000-year-old wisdom here. So here's what he says. It, it's so stinking smart. Love and hatred. Love and hatred don't just reveal whether you're walking in light or darkness. That is, whether you're walking in, in a reality or deception. Love and hatred... They contribute toward the light or the darkness that you're already in. And here's what I mean. When we're walking in light, according to John, we're, we're going to be walking in love. We're going to be walking in love because we see people clearly. Sometimes we get the idea that, well, loving people and trying to be a person of love, it means putting on rose-colored glasses and not seeing them as they truly are, but like, you know, just seeing them in a nice way, choosing like a nice way to see them. But love enables us to see people, not with rose-colored glasses, love enables us to see people as they truly are. As they truly are. The, uh, without, love enables us to see people without our bias, without our prejudice, right? The person with hatred in his heart hasn't just found himself in darkness, it is that hatred that keeps him in darkness because hatred distorts our perspective. You see what I'm getting at? The common mistake we make about our own feelings toward other people, 
is that we think, we, we think that we make a judgment on somebody, we collect all the facts, and then we decide whether we love or hate them. Because that makes sense, right? I'm going to encounter this person, I'm going to learn everything there is to know, and then I'll decide whether I love or hate. That actually, the Bible shows that that's not the way our brains work, and modern psychology like backs this up. What they've shown today is that your judgment of them is already jaundiced by your hatred of them. It is love, the love of Christ, that enables us to see straight to think clearly, to make a balanced, fair judgment of people. See, we, we don't hate people because we're blind. We are blind because we hate. See where I'm getting? That's why uh, today you hear things like in, in the you know, corporate workplace, they have things like diversity training. Or if somebody gets in trouble, you know, they say something, they send off some email or they say something rude, they send that person to diversity training. And that's a noble thing to try to do. Because what are they trying to do? They're, they're like trying to educate that person into an attitude of love. But diversity training, education, being taught that racism is stupid and unscientific, all those efforts are noble, but they don't stop racist people from being racist. You can give all the facts and figures to a racist person, they're still racist. Why is it? You're like, well, why, why don't you see? It's plain, right? Look at the studies. Everybody's the same. It doesn't change the heart, does it? Hate is what blinds them to every other reason. And John is re revealing a powerful truth. It's not only good for us to take stock of and kind of examine ourselves, but this is, helps us to understand the culture that we live in, that better education, as noble as a pursuit it is, better education doesn't make people love each other. Jesus is the only one who could change the human heart. He's the only one who can change the human heart. He transforms our hearts into people capable of love. And what that does is open our eyes. Love opens our eyes to the light, to the truth, that people all around us are actually worthy of our love the whole time. And they've been worthy of our love the whole time. Jesus opens our eyes. So this would suggest some pretty, for, for me, a, a kind of a revolutionary solution now. If, if you have a poor opinion of somebody, rather than, you know, go and look for some data to maybe support your opinion of them, or look for data to help you change your opinion of them, here's a wild solution. Decide to love them. Decide to allow God to flood you with his light and to love them. And watch as your opinion of them changes. It's, it's an amazing true thing. It's why the command in the Bible to pray for our enemies is so effective. He tells us to pray for our enemies. Why? Not just so, you know, change those bad old enemies that we have. It changes us. Amen. We pray for our enemies. What happens? You start to love your enemy. Suddenly, they don't seem like an enemy as much anymore, right? Even if they never change at all, it changes us. So when we expose ourselves to the light of the love of Jesus. It opens our eyes to this fresh new reality because we don't belong to the darkness, we belong to the light. Okay, I wanna look at uh, a passage here. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light 
and children of the day, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. I want this to be a fresh word to some of us today. You do not belong to the night or to the darkness. You do not belong to the darkness. You belong to the light, right? If If you're in Christ, this is your default. You belong to the light, right? Now, here's why this is so important to us. Sometimes what happens with you and me today, Christians are bombarded day and night by messages of of hate and division and fear, you know, both from the world, like against you, you know, how terrible you are for being a Christian. And sometimes you're given these messages by Christian leaders, you know, telling you how terrible the world is and you ought to kind of like hate them, uh, hate the world. And, And these messages come at you day and night. I know it. I know they do because they come at me. So I know you're feeling it too. And sometimes they can make you believe that you are not truly a Christian unless, number one, you are pure and holy and perfect enough or unless you are sufficiently outraged by all that sin committed by sinners. And this can either turn us into two, one of two different things. It can either turn us into super religious jerks right, who don't have any idea anymore how to love the world because we've just been told we got to live in outrage. Or what does it do? It could fill us with despair. Maybe I just don't have what it takes to be a Christian. Maybe I don't have what it takes to be a real Christian. And what John says and what Jesus says and what Paul says here in Thessalonians, what he gives us is this exuberant, buoyant declaration. The darkness is passing. The light is coming and you belong to the light. You already belong to the light. That is who you are. What the gospel is is an announcement of who you are in Christ. That is good news. It's an announcement of your new identity. It's not achieved it is granted. Amen. It has been granted. It's not achieved. It's granted. It's an announcement of who you truly are. It's an announcement that you are a new creation. You don't belong to the darkness. You belong to the light. It is an announcement of how God sees you. And so we live leaning into that. We lean, we lean into that because that is what we belong to. And so now what, this, what we, the Spirit of God is doing is we allow Him to to give us guidance daily. We, we depend on him daily. Guidance and strength and discernment so that we can live in to our true identity. Not so we can achieve that identity. It's already ours. It's who you are. You belong to the light. You don't belong to the darkness. But now we can, we can live into it. We can lean into that. Amen? This is absolutely crucial that we grasp this. We can... So often, I, I, I talk to Christian brothers and sisters who just feel like they, it seems like they go through life feeling inadequate, feeling like fundamentally flawed in some way, like fundamentally deficient, like they're, like they're diseased. And, and I want to tell you, you belong to the light. You belong to the light. It's who you are now. It's who you are. You're made to love. You're a lover, not a fighter. Amen. Amen. This is what you're made for now. I want to wrap this up with this uh, silly little example here. How many of you um, have ever left something soaking in the washing machine a little too long? You ever done that? I didn't know you could do that before I got married. 
I must have just been walking around stinking for years as a single person. But yeah, I found out like you can leave something in the washing machine too long. I mean, it's clean. Why can't you just leave it there, right? Uh, it, it, it sits in there too long and it gets that sort of funky sour smell, right? You get that thing going on. And uh, how many of you ever didn't realize it had sat too long? And maybe you took it out of the washing machine, you threw it into the dryer, it dried, it went through that cycle, you folded it, you put it in your drawer, and you took it out one day, and you're like, oh, what has happened? No, not, not my favorite little Smashing Pumpkins t-shirt, no, <laughs> it's died. What happened to it, right? Don't be ruined, no. How many of you ever sat in a room with other people, and you thought, what is that smell? right? Oh my word, somebody smells like mildew. Oh. How many of you have a friend that happened to you, right? Um, you have that favorite, you have that favorite t-shirt and it's been sitting in the wash machine and it sits in there on the second day, the third day, whatever happens, you know, you forget about it or you got a blouse or a pair of shorts or whatever it is and it's in there. It's barely hanging on to life. When you open it up, you can tell, and it's screaming at you, Scott, save us, we're dying, right? We have all kinds of things growing inside of us. Save us before it's too late. It turns out, and I'm pretty sure my wife is the one who taught me this, amazing, brilliant information. Before you freak out and cry over your lost shirt, there's something very simple you can do. It's amazing. If the sun is out, you take it outside, and you hang it out in the sun, especially down here where it's sunny and it's hot, right? You take it out in the sun, and it's an amazing thing. This vulnerable piece of fabric, this clothing, with untold millions of evil, stinky microbes growing inside of it, you just hang it out in the sun. And within like a few hours, Golden Boy, or whatever you call your favorite t-shirt, is cured. It's, it's cleansed. It's back in the land of the living. Why is that? Because when you drag things into the light, all sorts of good things happen. You with me? The light has this healing, cleansing, disinfecting, power-washing quality to it. And I think this is why the writer John here, he keeps linking love and hate with light and darkness because we're here, we have been redeemed, right? If you've made Jesus your Lord, you've been redeemed, you're saved, you're cleansed, you're, you've been reconnected, reunited, justified by faith, you know, whatever language you wanna use, that Jesus has rescued you. And this Jesus creates in us this power, profound experience of the love of God. And then Jesus doesn't stop there, he commands us to, to show those around us that same kind of love that has been given to us, to give to others the love that has been shown to us. That's just our natural calling now. And that's hard. It's hard, isn't it? Because we have these people that are hard to interact with around us. And we have these interactions that are tense and awkward sometimes. We have people who, when we see them coming, sometimes you ever have those people and you're like, oh, not another round of this. And so the invitation to us is to take out our hearts and drag them out into the light. Drag them into the light and to say, God, I wanna love this person. I wanna show this person what the love of God looks like. But I got a lot of forces at work in me. So here, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna drag this out into the light 
And I'm asking you, Lord, to clean me out, to, to turn my heart towards this person in lots of beautiful different ways. And I'm asking you, Lord, to shape me. I'm, gonna ask, I'm asking you to even use this person that you've put in my life, the difficulty of loving them, to use that to create in me a new expanse of love that'll actually be able to, to, to respond in, in different new revolutionary ways. When we drag things out into the light, all sorts of fresh new possibilities are created. Is there anybody here today? If we're going to take this text really seriously and not just a Hallmark card that's nice and then we set it aside. The question is, is there something I need to drag into the light to better be this kind of person in the world? We say, God, shine into this. Show, show me more about this. Shape me here and now, Lord. Help me to love like you love and thereby see other people the way God sees them. Because God doesn't look at people through rose-colored glasses. He sees nothing but reality. And he finds every single human being worthy of love. So God, wipe the scales from my eyes and let me see ultimate reality. Let me see people the way you see them. And remember, one more thing. The, the love is, uh, is not just an individual pursuit. It's a communal effort. All of the yous in 1 John are plural. They're written to all of us. They're written to us together. They're written to the church. So we need each other to learn and to grow and to hold one another accountable in our journey of love. So may we create a community where love is not just merely a slogan, but it is a lived reality. May our actions bring healing to the broken and, and hope to the despairing and unity to those who feel divided and cut off. And may we be known as people who love fearlessly and selflessly in the name of the one who first loved us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, as that, that dad in the scriptures came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord God, we love, but help us when we aren't loving Father God, we see this writer, John, who he's experienced so much, Lord, in his life, and he has encountered so much, and he continually is bringing us back to the love of God. And, and our love for those around us, our neighbor, our brother, our sister, Lord God, remind each of us, Lord, of the places, wherever, the, the places that we live, our neighbors, the places that we work, that we play and move and have our being, Lord God, that the world will discover your love through how we love other people. Use this letter this summer, Lord God, to shape us. Use these moments, those moments that we have with other people that are awkward, intense, and difficult, Lord God, create all sorts of anxiety in us, Lord God, to use those moments to speak to us about the ways that maybe we have just projected onto other people, our own darkness, the ways in which we're jealous, we're resentful, the ways maybe we've been living some kind of unexamined life, Lord, Thank you, Father God. Show us the ways that darkness has creeped in and we ask for the light to see clearly. The light of your love, Lord God, to clean us out. The light to shine in those dark places, Lord God. We come to you now in the humility that says, here we are, Lord God. We know we're not perfect, 
shape us. Thank you for the forgiveness and the new life, Lord God, and the resurrection that's found in Christ and Christ alone. We trust this Jesus. We ask you to bring this now, his life, his love, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet as our prayer partners are coming forward right now? Guys, if there's anything you need prayer about, we encourage you to come forward, let them pray with you. It's not the same when we pray. Jesus said where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. Whatever it is going on in your life, this might be the most important part of the whole service. This might be the point of you coming to church this morning right now is to come forward and just let people pray with you. Let the body of Christ stand with you in whatever it is you're going through. Don't go through it alone. Don't suffer in silence. Let them pray with you. And if you're listening to this message today and you're like, I haven't really, really experienced this Jesus and you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to experience this eye-opening, literally eye-opening revolution that he can do in your life, I encourage you to come forward and let them pray with you. They would love to guide you into that next step of saying yes to Jesus today. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be merciful to you. May he lift his countenance and grant you peace in this world that we're living in. Grace and peace be with you. Thank you, sir. Amen. Bye-bye.